So welcome again tonight to this second installment of our teachings on being seated together with Christ. Uh, we began this teaching yesterday and we covered a lot of ground already. I'm just going to go very quickly over the highlights of what we covered yesterday as we move forward tonight in this second installment. So yesterday, and by the way, again, the theme is seated together with Christ, which is a teaching in the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. So yesterday, we tried to establish Paul's apostolic authority for saying some of the things he said which some erroneously have thought are in contradiction to some things Jesus said. So yesterday, we spent a lot of time establishing his apostolic authority on what he said. So we established very clearly yesterday that there's actually no contradiction between what Jesus taught and what Paul taught. We established that Paul just continued where Jesus left off for several reasons. Number one, we established that Jesus came and taught under the law to fulfill the law. Number two, we said that Jesus had to die and resurrect before the new covenant of grace could be enacted. Number three, we established that disciple, the disciples were simply not ready for all the things Jesus had to say. That's in John chapter 16, verse 10, verse 12, rather. John 16, 12, where it says, I have more things to say to you, but you are not able to bear them. And lastly, we established that what else Jesus needed to say to the church, he, Jesus, just simply delegated to the Holy Spirit, who now not only spoke with Paul, but now speaks to all of us expressly. Amen? So it is important for us to recognize that we are in the dispensation of the Spirit of God, and that the Holy Spirit is the one that administers the grace of God to each one of us. So tonight, it just bears reading one scripture before we move on in Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Luke chapter 10, verse 16 says, okay, yeah, I take the end of translation. This is good. The one who listens to you, listens to me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, the one who sent me. Basically, Jesus is saying, listen, that we should receive what Paul has said because he sent Paul. And God sent him. So what he's saying is, he who hears Paul, hears him. And he who hears him, Jesus, hears the God who sent him. So that's enough for us to understand that really there's no contradiction. And even though we're going to be hearing a lot of stuff back and forth in the church about Paul said this, Jesus said this, we need to be men and women of understanding, rightly dividing the word of truth as Second Timothy 2.15 enjoins us. So tonight, let's move on in our journey. Back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 in the New King James Version. Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. 
Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1. Praise God. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Let me just finish that one verse tonight, and then we're going to take it off, take it on tomorrow. <laughs> so now, yesterday we addressed who was writing to the church, Apostle Paul. That's who was writing to the church. Apostle Paul, he wrote the letter to the Ephesians. Now, tonight, we're going to examine who was he speaking to. And from this verse we just read, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints. To the saints. So this writing of Paul was to the saints. Now, it begs the question, who are the saints? There is a lot of confusion because or as a result of the Roman Catholic Church where certain elite special group of people are called or made saints. So you have St. Peter, St. John, St. Nicholas, St. 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 and they go on and on and on and on. And therefore, as a result of that, if you are not careful, most of us in the church think of the word saints to be a special word for a special category of people. It reminds me of my friend uh, who has a Rolls Royce. True story. He has a Rolls Royce. He was given a Rolls Royce oh, years ago. And for a long time, he could not drive the car. He was just too embarrassed to drive the car. Why do you think that is? Because there are not too many Rolls Royce on the, on the road. I've been in this country, oh, God knows how, God knows how, long, how, many, how many years. Perhaps I've seen five Rolls Royce on the road all the years I've lived in the United States. Maybe more, but, but, but I see Teslas, I see Maseratis, I see Lamborghinis, and on and on. But I don't see too many Rolls Royce. Because the Rolls Royce, for some reason, as far as automobile is concerned, is mm, a special category of car that belongs to VIPs. <laughs> so for a long time, he just parked the car in his garage. And so finally one day, I just said, wait a minute, this is madness. I'm looking at this car every day. <laughs> the car belongs to me, but I can't drive it because of what people will think about me. So finally overcame that uh, intimidation, that mentality, and said, you know what? I'm going to drive this in the day. All day long, I'm, so I took the car out, drove it to my house, looked at the car, and really the truth is, the thing is a beaut. It's, it's just, it's not your regular car, okay? <laughs> Thank God. But anyway, so the point I'm trying to make is, because of what we think that saint is supposed to be, based on the impression that Rome has tried to sell to the rest of the world, when you and I hear the word saint, for some reason, it quickly says, oh, wait, 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 no, I'm not the saint. No, oh, that's, you have to be St. Peter, St. Mary, St. John, St. Teresa, whatever it is. So now, let's look at how does Paul use the term? What does it mean when Paul says, to the saints? Amen? Now, Paul uses this word in his writings 40 times. 40, 40, 40 times. And almost always in the plural, the saints, plural, as in plural. 
And that terminology, according to Paul, refers to believers, Christians. Period. It was never used in a singular way to refer to a singular person or Christian. So he would not say St. Bank or St. Charles or St. Hereda. No, never. But he used it in a plural way for the saints. Now, there was only one time in his writings in Philippians, uh, I believe, chapter 3 at the end. Let me read it. Where he greeted every saint. Uh, yeah, Philippians chapter 4, verse 21. This is the only time he used it in singular form. form. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So even then, when he used it as a singular word, it was very clear he was speaking pointedly to believers. Amen? So when Paul refers to, when he's writing and says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Christ Jesus, we need to begin to get the understanding of what he's saying, and that is, that word saint is the same word or synonymous to the word holy. Now, let me take us to another scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 9. Let's take a little look at the use of this word. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. So it says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Remember I told you the word sin is almost is the same word as the word holy. So now in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, we're trying to get a better understanding of the use of the word saint and what it means to me and you today. You see, because if you don't know who you are, you will misbehave. You have to know who you are. It's important for me and you to settle the issue of identity. So Paul says, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling. You may want to say a saintly calling. It'd be the same thing. Now look at what it says. Look at how it defines your sainthood or your holiness. Not according to our works. Rome ordains sainthood according to their works. This is a direct contradiction to what's in the mind of God when it calls me and you saints. Are you following me? Not according to our works. So if it's not according to our works or our performance or our efforts, by whose authority? What are the criteria for me and you being a saint? But according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus. You see, my friend who was afraid to drive his car, the car was given to him. It actually was. It was a gift. But for some reason, for in his own mind, and I pray that me and you will be disabused from that kind of thinking, in his own mind, he 
did not see himself worthy of such a gift. And therefore, he had a problem using the gift. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying to you? Somebody gives him a gift and he says, man, are you kidding me? Am I deserving? Do I, what? Am I worthy of such a big gift, a Rolls Royce? Now, what God has given me on you is bigger than a Rolls Royce. Much bigger than a Rolls Royce. Not according to our own purpose. No, no, rather. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. So, sainthood, or being a saint of God, is a grace or a gift of grace. If you want to define what a saint is, a saint is a gift of grace given to us in Christ Jesus. We must not leave that part out. This grace, which we know what it is, unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor to call me and you a saint is a grace gift of God and was given to us in Christ. That is important. We need to really emphasize that. The only reason, the only way we get it, we get his gift, is in Christ. And here's the good part. Before time began. Before your mother and your father ever came together to conceive you, God already called you a saint. Oh, hallelujah. Glory be to God. Before time began. That's when the thing came to you. Now, let's go to Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Again, bearing with one another. Go back to that verse 12 again there. Thank you. So again, when it says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. He's talking about saintly, innocent and beloved. Amen? Now, let's go to Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. So to be a saint is to be holy, to be set apart. And tomorrow night, we speak more on the holiness aspect of it. Okay? But being a saint means you are set apart. And we speak more of that fully tomorrow. But for, for tonight, I just want you to understand what it means as it relates to your identity. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Verse 9. And be found where? Remember? Ephesians 1 1. We are saints in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1 9. We are holy in Him. So here is the in Him statement. Because I want us to understand what the in Him statement means to you and I. So he says, I'm being found in him, in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. The reason you and I buckle and get uncomfortable to be identified as a, faith, as a saint is because we are still thinking about our own righteousness according to the law. And Paul is making it perfectly clear that it's found in him. 
And then they gave us the parameters of that. Not having my own righteousness. I'm not always the perfect guy. I'm not always doing everything. I'm not pulling up myself by my own bootstraps. Um, it's not about me. It's not about what I've done. Which is from the law. You know what the law means? You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. Under the law, it was do, 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 do. So you went about doing, 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 regardless of whether God said it or not. Because you have been told that by doing, you get brownie points. As if by doing, you're hanging a carrot before God. God, I've done well today. Now give me a reward. This was the mentality of the elder brother in Luke 15. He felt if he worked hard enough, served hard enough, that should entitle him to a special party, a special benefit with the father. And the father said, yeah, well, come on, man. Everything I have is yours. You don't have to work hard to get it. It's yours. It's, we own it together. But in his own mind, he felt it could be found in him having his own righteousness, which is from the law. But Paul says, no. But that which is through faith in Christ. In other words, this sainthood, this holiness, what I have, my identity in Christ, is as a result of my union with him. And this union with Christ is based on faith in him. This is the righteousness which is not by my own effort, but righteousness which is from God by faith. Why is this so important for us to deal with this? It is important for us to deal with this and understand this because the battles we lose most of the time is not the outward battles. It's the inward. The condemnation you feel. The guilt you're carrying. The bad feeling. Oh man, I had an argument with my wife today. I didn't treat my husband well. I didn't do my job right. And on and on and on. And if you're not careful, the enemy fills your mind with all your shortcomings and all your failures and says, and says to you, because you failed, because you didn't do this enough, because this is lacking your life, God don't like you anymore, any longer. And once you buy into that, you're finished. Serious condemnation. Men, battle, men and women, they battle all day long. And once you have that condemnation or that guilt or that shame within you, it changes your entire perspective. It changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way you see people around you. It changes the way you see your world. You think everybody's against you because of how you feel inwardly. You're seeing things that are not happening. That's how terrible it is. Are you following me? Let's go to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Thank you. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Now, 
this is a, uh, Zechariah was having a series of vision right here in this, in, this, uh, in this book. And I think this is about the third or fourth vision that God will show him. But it shows a clear picture of what's, hap what's happening in the spirit realm. Verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Now, take note of that word chosen. You need to take note of that word chosen. We're going to deal with that tomorrow night. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua, now this is the reality. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, so now, okay, let me paint the picture. Satan is accusing this priest before God. He's telling God this guy is dirty, he's not clean, he's full of sins. And according to the picture, the vision that was shown to Zechariah, the priest Joshua, Joshua was a priest. Joshua, the high, this is not the same Joshua as in the book of Joshua. Okay, this is a different Joshua. <laughs> so this Joshua, the high priest, was actually in this vision clothed in filled garments. And the enemy was there reminding God how filthy this man is. Now remember a high priest not only represents himself, but when you see a high priest, is also a representative figure of the entire nation. Don't forget that. So when this Satan was accusing Joshua the high priest, what he was really saying is, not only is this man unclean, but all of Israel along with him. So he was saying, God, condemn them all. They are full of sin. What was God's response? The Bible said, God, Satan, I rebuke you. God rebuked Satan directly. And then in verse 4, then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Oh, my God. Folks, did Joshua have to fight his own battle? It didn't happen. God himself took it upon himself to rebuke Satan. And then, not to ignore the accusation of Satan, said, okay, you talk about this free government? Good. I'm removing it myself. And instead, and in place of that free government, I'm placing my rich robe on him. Now, what you got to say, Satan? That's the picture of you, my friend. Jesus Christ today, the Bible tells us, is our most or great high priest. Just as Joshua, in his filthy garments, represented himself and all of Israel. Conversely speaking, Jesus Christ, our great high priest, when he stands, he not only represents himself, in his righteousness, he represents us as well. Because there's a divine exchange that took place when you and I came into union with him. In that union, he took away our sins and gave us his righteousness. And therefore, when God sees you and I, he sees us in Christ. That's why Paul 
kept on telling us, all these writings, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, in Christ, in Christ. Oh, my God, this poor man, when I get to heaven, I need to give him a big hug. No, no seriously, because, because like I was saying to you guys yesterday, he is the one that gave us the revelation of our union in Christ. Jesus taught it in John 15, but we didn't understand it. He taught it. And like I said yesterday, Paul is not saying anything Jesus didn't say. He's just building on the foundation that Jesus gave. He's just building on that foundation. Now, let's go back to Philippians chapter 3. Let's go back to verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. And I'm praying that God will help us to really get this issue of our identity. Because once you understand who you are, <laughs> it has a way of radically changing how you behave, if you really believe it. Yeah. Now, so Paul has been telling us from Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, about being a saint and being in Christ. He told us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, that it's not according to our own righteousness, but that which is found in Christ by faith, the righteousness of God himself. Now look at what it says in verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. This is important. We address this. Relative to everything else he has said. This is what Paul is saying. My, in my union with Christ, my perfection is finished. Nothing can be added. Nothing can be taken away. He already established that to us in verse 1, in verses 8 and 9. But while he was standing there with the Philippians, he says to them, Inasmuch I'm perfected in my union in Christ. But I want you guys to know that in present day reality, I'm not already without blame, without fault, without any shortcomings. Oh man, you guys in here. Not that. I have already attained. In God, it is finished. I'm holy. I'm a saint. I am perfect. There is nothing that can be added or taken away from me. However, in my human experience, because this is what confuses us, some of us say, if I'm really perfect and I'm really truly what God says I am, why am I still having these issues every day? Why do I still get angry? Why do I still do the wrong things? Paul is saying, as a human, I'm telling you what the reality is in Christ, but, it, but as I'm standing here right now for, for now, I've not already attained. Now, what, what that word already says to me is, there's a progress here. He didn't say, I never attained. <laughs> he said, I have, uh, 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 it's not that I have already which means there is room for improvement. I'm making progress every day. In fact, it makes that clear later. He said, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but rather than resign to the fate of where I am now and say, okay, I lie, 
that's just who I am. I'm going, I'm going to keep on lying. Or I steal, well, that's just who I am. I'm going to keep on stealing. He said, no, but I press on. You don't pack at your shortcomings. You don't stop just because you're not there. No, you press on. I haven't attained. Okay, that's a check. I'm a work in progress. I'm not perfected. Okay, that's a I give that a check. That's also true. Now, the fact that I've not attained or perfected does not change my position in Christ. I'm still a saint. I'm still holy. Why? Because God did those things before I was created. Before time began. However, in my present day reality, these are the things that are still around me, but I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So this is what all the lazy grace believers need to get right here. You don't say because I'm under grace. Continue to live a sloppy, lazy lifestyle that brings disgrace to God rather than I show the glory of who he is. Paul says, listen, I'm not there yet. But you know what? I'm not going to give up. It's available. It's there. God has made it happen. I am going to keep on pressing until the change happens in me. Like a butterfly. Until I, I, I go through that process of changing from a caterpillar to start flying. That grace is available. But like Jesus said in Matthew chapter, I believe chapter 4, or chapter 5, or chapter 6, one of those chapters, he said, those that do hunger after righteousness shall be filled. Not those who just casually say, okay, put the feeding bottle in my mouth. Even though I'm an adult, I'm 36 years old, come and feed me. No, they won't be filled. They won't be filled. Now, they will die and go to heaven. Because they believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in their lifestyle, they will never truly be able to live out the reason for their apprehension. Because they're not hungry. They're not hungry. Amen? Okay. Back to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1. <laughs> now, I hope you guys are appreciating why we have to take these teachings on a series of days like this. There's no way, what I, just, what I mean, we can't cover this on a Sunday morning. It's just not possible. But it's also important that we get it as quickly as possible so that we can be, we can be mended and begin to walk the way God wants us to walk uh, as quickly as possible. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 1, again, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. So we know Paul wrote the book. We established his authority and validated his position and the revelation that God gave him through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've already said there's no contradiction whatsoever between Paul and Jesus. Paul is just carrying out Jesus' mandate. And you know it's amazing why tradition and religion fight against that. Jesus himself told us to expect that. He said the works that I do shall you do. He said, greater works than this shall you do. Why? Because I go to my father. By implication, because the Holy Spirit will come. And so when Paul comes and starts saying things that Jesus didn't say, oh, wait a minute. Oh, no, 
Jesus said it, it's in red. True story. A friend of mine recently went to preach in a church in Washington, D.C. I will not give the name of the church because I don't want anybody to get in trouble. And he talked, he taught a beautiful lesson. The people are so blessed. And the pastor said, man, this is so good. Anybody has any questions? No, the pastor initiated it. If the people have questions. And the guys said, okay, I'll take the questions. Question after question after question until the last question. The lady asked the question of the issue of forgiveness. And of course, my friend addressed it just like I talked yesterday. That forgiveness is not contingent in getting the blessings of God. Hello, did you guys hear that? <laughs> I just want to make sure you guys are still awake. <laughs> because for some of us, that we just shut down that completely. Now, again, yesterday I said forg forgiveness is absolutely important. It's necessary. We should forgive. I must keep on emphasizing that. I don't want anybody to hear this and say, Pastor Banks says forgiveness. No, 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 no. For your own good, you need to forgive. But the point he was making is that forgiveness cannot be held as a carrot before God to get a blessing from God. Because the way it's been taught traditionally in the church, in the past, is if you don't forgive, God does not forgive you. And they quote Jesus in red. And true, he said it. Oh, by the way, I preached that myself years ago. I did. Not only did I preach it, I wrote a book on it. I'm just telling you, confession is good for the soul. <laughs> I even tell you the name of the book so you don't buy it. <laughs> so, so you don't pollute yourself. <laughs> no, seriously. This is seriously. Because I was big on teaching the tabernacle of Moses. And so I did a complete workbook on, that, on the tabernacle. On the back end of it, I gave practical steps on applying the tabernacle. And it had a ladder there, and there were seven steps to the throne of God. And step number one was you have, to, you have to release forgiveness. Folks, there are no seven steps to God. <laughs> there is only one step to God. The cross, Jesus Christ. End of story. End of story. I, and I'm telling you this because, you see, we, we, we go to all kinds of prayer meetings. We go to all kinds of conferences. And you say, okay, now we're going we're gonna to seek God now. Okay, get in the mood. Get in the spirit now. Okay, they all have played keyboard. And, so if they is not there, God will not be present. <laughs> thank God for they all are, Thank God for the gift of music. But are you saying to me that God is, 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 is handicapped because somebody did not play? Come on. Yeah. Only one step to God. Jesus Christ on the cross. End of story. End of story. And I challenge you, go back and read the four Gospels. Of all the people that Jesus healed and touched, how many of them did they ask, are you in sin? How many? Zero. It does not matter. In fact, if it mattered, you will not be able to be saved. Because you came to him as a sinner. Can you imagine that? So you want to give your life to Jesus and, and Jesus says, okay, whoa, 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 before you come. Go and confess your sin. Uh, uh, your adultery, go and get that right. Oh, you stole your embezzled money. Go and get that. 
Nobody will be saved. Nobody will be saved. Absolutely no condition except whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How do we omit those scriptures and allow religion to paint something else and we just believe it? So we establish tonight who the saints are. We are the saints. Don't be ashamed or, uh, or timid of claiming your position in Christ. You are the saints of the almighty God. End of story. There's no, there's no, don't be like my friend and pack your Rolls Royce in the garage. <laughs> no, you're the saint of God. So lastly tonight, he writes to the saints, in Ephesus, Ephesus, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Ephesus is modern day Turkey. I, I'm asking myself, how did Paul do such an incredible work in a place like this, and now we have to go back to, to re-evangelize the place? What happened? And the reason that question is important is what happened in Turkey will happen to us if we don't change. We can't just look at Turkey and say, ah, it happened in Turkey. America is on a trajectory to repeat history. If something does not change. If we don't desperately reach this next generation, the younger generation, we will be one generation away from becoming Turkey. Yeah. But God forbid, God help us. So Ephesus is modern day Turkey. Now, to give you a good picture of what happened in this place, let's go to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Church history tells us that this was the place where uh, Apostle John spent his last days and actually died and was buried. Acts 19, we can begin to read from verse 13. Let's, let's start from verse 11. Sorry, John, verse 11. Thank you. So this whole passage up to verse 34, 35, is all, it all happened in Ephesus. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul. Go on. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, <laughs> saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. <laughs> Listen, we don't know this Jesus, but we borrow his name. <laughs> we rent his name from Paul, but, but we don't want any part of him, but let's just use the name. Merchandising the name of Jesus. Is that happening today? Good, I'll let you answer that question. Let me just move on. <laughs> also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, 
who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? In a kind of very funny way, even the evil spirit affirms Paul's ministry. Now, that's, this is not the kind of endorsement we are looking for. <laughs> for Satan to endorse yourself. <laughs> this, man, this man is a man of God. That's, that's not the endorsement we are looking for. Nevertheless, it's there. Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Because remember now, in, in the four Gospels, evil spirits, when they saw Jesus, they recognized him. Verse 16. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was, was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they, now some people, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now keep in mind, this was happening at Ephesus. I want you to understand the letter that Paul wrote to the saints and the context where it took place. This became known to both all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic. Now, you Africans, you thought magic just below you guys invented magic. Here, here, your boss here. This <laughs> Many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. In today's currency, about $10 million. I mean, that's some serious magic going on there. <laughs> so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. When these things were accomplished, purpose in the spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must see Rome. Run. So he sent to Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about the time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation. I mean, look at this. These guys had a union. In America, we have steel union. We have aircraft union. I mean, these guys had shrine union. <laughs> and they said, man, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So, not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling to disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised, and her magnificence destroyed whom all Asia and the world worship. Let me just stop right there. I mean, you can read it on your own up to verse 35. This gives us a picture of Ephesus, where Paul was ministering. Number one, 
we're told, really, when you, when you read the history of it, this was Satan's headquarters in Asia. That temple or theater that belonged to Princess Di uh, Prince Di uh, to, I said, <laughs> Strike, strike, strike. <laughs> no, no, Princess Diana, I, I take that back. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but the temple of Diana, the goddess, Di whatever her name is. <laughs> goddess, okay. History tells us that place sits 50,000 people. Think about that. Way back. And all kinds of craziness was taking place there. So it was Satan's headquarters. Diana, the goddess, had a shrine there. And as a result of the shrine, and as a result of the superstition and idolatry that was in that entire area, an incredible manufacturing uh, uh, trade emerged. Somebody had to make the shrines. Now, you may not understand this, but if you go to Bangkok or Myanmar, you, you understand what I'm saying? Because I think, Shion, you've been there. You, you see those shrines. I mean, which one do you want? Little God? <laughs> Mid-sized God? Large God? Oh, yeah, Butchie, you know, you know what I'm talking about. That's your stopping ground. Uh, extra large God. I mean, all kinds. So whatever you have idolatry and this kind of uh, superstition, it, it, it gives room to its own kind of trade. And therefore, it was a very wealthy commercial city. Now, why am I sharing this background? I'm sharing this background because you need to know the day in which you and I are living is no different from Ephesus. The trading may be different, but the idolatry, the uh, reverie, the superstition, all of the all the all crazy things that was taking place there are taking place now in a different form. But in spite of that, this is the key, and I'm closing now. At Ephesus, Paul addressed people who stole to steal no more. You see that in the text as we move forward. Uh, he addressed those who lied to lie no more. You see that Ephesians 4.25, still to still, still no more, Ephesians 4.28, uh, Ephesians 4.31, he said, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor be put away from you. So we have a situation where in a, an area where sin was abounding, and yet in the church, you saw all kind of things that he started to correct. But the point is this, in spite of the fact those guys were not totally, completely uh, perfect, he still called them sinners. Those that stole, steal no more. He's talking to thieves inside the church. And he said, you're still a sinner. Those that's lying, stop lying. But you're a saint. Now, am I saying this to endorse lying and stealing? No! If we are to get you to stop lying and stealing, we first need to Get, help you to see your identity. Because out of your identity, you have a sense of responsibility to say, you know what? No, 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 no. After all of this, I can't, I can't be a part of this. I can't. The reason the younger boy 
in Lucasfilm went back home, he remembered his father's love. While he was whiling away in the pigsty, he said, come on, I don't need to stay here. In my father's house, even the servant gets better treatment than this. So what I'm challenging us with and closing tonight is, not only are we called to be saints from before the ages began, God is looking at me and you from an eternal heavenly perspective. And he's saying to us, if America is going to change, I'm going to have to use you in perfect vessels to do it. If Africa is going to change, I'm going to have to use these imperfect vessels to do so. If Asia is going to change, I'm going to have to use these imperfect vessels to do so. Why? Because it will not be you doing it. It will be me willing and working in you to get it done. That's the message. God in us, looking to work through us so he can bring glory to himself. Are we going to give ourselves to God? Are we going to embrace what God has said about us? It's not me and you trying to make it happen. It's him having done it, now looking to see the release of that into our world. And so, Father, tonight we want to thank you. We thank you for 